Hello and welcome to the Final Girls podcast where we explore the intersections of horror film and feminism. In this first series, we're bringing on special guests to dive deep into film and TV shows with witchcraft at the heart of them. I'm Anna, co-founder of the Final Girls and your podcast host. We're coming up to the end of this series about witches and I'm excited about this film, which was very much a discovery for me. Night of the Eagle, retitled with the much more dramatic name Burn Witch Burn for its US release, is a British-American horror film from 1962. Our protagonist is Professor Norman Taylor, played by the very dashing Peter Wingard, a staunch rationalist who mocks anything to do with witchcraft and the occult. The story begins when Norman discovers that his wife Tansy, played by usually comedic actress Janet Blair, has been practicing black magic for years behind his back. When he destroys her charms and spells, they fall prey to evil forces being cast by someone else in the small college town they live in. The film is written by Richard Matheson, Charles Beamont, and George Baxt, names which, for fans of horror literature or sci-fi television, might be enough to convince you to watch this film. Matheson was one of the most influential authors and screenwriters of horror, fantasy, and science fiction, and Beamont was best known for his work in The Twilight Zone and has had a huge influence since then. I'm joined in this episode by Ali Penelope, host of the horror podcast Kill Count, to dig into Burn Witch Burn, which is currently streaming on the BFI player in the UK. It's a film rich with ideas and well worth taking a look at. Even today, in many parts of the world, people practice black magic and witchcraft. Charms, amulets, voodoo candles, grave dirt, and locks of hair are believed to ward off evil spirits and spells. You may doubt the effectiveness of these spells, but through every civilization, people have believed in witches. Could they all be wrong? I don't think so. Hi, Ali. Thank you so much for doing this and for coming on to talk about this film with me. Thank you. I love, love, love witches, and I couldn't think of a better way to spend an hour than talking about them. I mean, same. So kicking off straight away, what is your relationship with this film with Night of the Eagle, Burn Witch Burn. I think we can refer to it by either title because Night of the Eagle was the British version uh of the of the production and it was renamed Burn Witch Burn for the American release. Yeah, and arguably Burn Witch Burn is so much better. I mean I feel like we should only refer to it as that because <laughs> it's a much more visceral, isn't it? And a lot more fun and in keeping with witchcraft. So um I unfortunately had never watched this film before, so I'm really grateful for the opportunity to watch it and and think critically about it. Um, however, when I did start to deep dive into kind of the people who are associated with the film, that's when I got really excited because those people I knew. Mm -hmm. I'm very familiar with Richard Matheson and Charles Beaumont. I'm a massive Twilight Zone fan. I grew up on that. And I feel like you can definitely feel like um, two people who were uh, Twilight Zone veterans uh, penned this film. It feels almost like a Twilight Zone episode in a way. Uh, so for me, it was it was kind of this perfect blend of like the Twilight Zone and um, early 60s cinema, horror cinema, kind of B-movie vibe. It almost has, um, it doesn't quite go into that territory, but I'm a big fan of like 
sixties B movie schlock. And this had just the right amount of right amount of that. Um, so yeah, overall it was really, really, uh, fun to deep dive into it. And it also kind of taps into that sixties obsession with the occult and with witchcraft and kind of the, the death of suburbia in some ways, but we'll get to that in a bit. So what is burn, Witch burn? I'm going to, just keep with that title. What is Burn Witch Burn about? Mm-hmm. Burn Witch Burn is about a young couple who are, her husband is up and coming in the world. He's a young professor at a prestigious university, presumably somewhere in England. Um, she is American. And he's really moving up quickly, almost surprisingly quickly. And it turns out that the wife is practicing a little witchcraft on the side to protect him and to allow him to move up into the ranks because it turns out that all of the people in the town that they've moved to are just a little bit jealous of just how perfect his life is. And it's only after he realizes that she is practicing witchcraft and he forces her to to practice, you know, to throw aside all of these things and be rational about stuff um, that, of course, everything starts to tumble and go wrong. And um, all of the good fortune that he's experienced just starts to be stripped away from him. So maybe witchcraft wasn't such a bad idea after all. What do you make of Norman, who's played here by Peter Wingard and Tansy? his wife who is played by Janet Blair I believe yeah yeah with Peter Wingard I mean for I'm a big fan of The Innocence um I think any big horror film fan would have watched Mm -hmm. that film it's very um it's pivotal in in a horror catalog um and here he's a very different character he's he's very frightening in The Innocence arguably like one of the greatest scares of all time comes from his performance in that Mm -hmm. but here he's sort of the one that's frightened, uh, at least in the second half of the film. I thought he did a great job at playing someone who was uh, very straight-laced um, and a rational thinker, a nice counterpoint to his wife. But equally, I believed that he cared about her. Hmm. Um, and I think that there was an element of... Um, I, I thought, to be honest, when this film began, it was going to be him being the straight-laced husband and her being the woman's intuition kind of, you know, woo-woo kind of uh, approach. But actually... Um, he had a lot more emotion and he, he obviously really cared about her. And, um, I think that's what made the film really work for me is that by the end of it, um, you believe that these two people really cared about each other and that they both learned a little bit from each other. It was a little bit more give and pull. And for her performance, um, I thought she, she stole the show. She was hilarious in a lot of ways because, um, she, she was so, um, her, she just expressed so much. I, I think one of my favorite moments was when she comes home and she realizes that he's found all of her little talismans, that she's hidden all, all around the house to protect him. And she almost breaks into a giggle, um, which I think we all kind of experience when um, we're almost frightened by something or we're, we're taken by surprise. Our, our knee-jerk reaction is almost to laugh in fear. Um, so there were a lot of great little moments like that peppered throughout the film that really brought her character to life for me. I wanted to deep dive a little bit into their relationship because I think you're right. It's one of the the grounding elements of this film. Like it's one of the things that makes it really stand out to me from other kind of uh, genre films from the era is that you do actually believe that they are in, they're in love and they're in a caring relationship. So what did you make of the way that, uh, Janet and Peter kind of 
build that relationship between their characters. Yeah, it was an interesting one because I do feel like there's there's so much to unpackage in this film like that's between the lines. Um, so I almost just tried to watch it um, just really just taking in what, how, what I was getting out of it just from a first watch. And even though I want to be tempted to say, you know, I feel like this is, you know, it's a little bit of a pre-feminist movement film. So I, I didn't want to go in the direction of thinking, oh, how is this playing out with the relationships between husbands and their wives in the early 60s and mm-hmm. um, domestic life in the early 1960s? Um, because I think if you look at it at first, it really does look like it um, follows that very similar trend, that very similar or, or that very um what was common in the 1960s in terms of how husbands and wives were portrayed on screen. It's, um, you know, the working husband, uh, the father knows best kind of uh, archetype. And then the woman who is the homemaker, uh, she's the domestic goddess. She's um, the one who, you know, put. she knows where his pajamas are and he doesn't, uh, mm-hmm. which was a fun little moment. But then I actually think they they work to undo that idea throughout the entire film for me, it was a, a little bit of an undoing of of what we would normally think of as the perfect suburban couple. And also, I guess, he, it's also kind of the rational versus the women's intuition. I was thinking, you know, there's this kind of, this, this dynamic between what we think of as men always being the rational thinkers um, and women having like women's intuition and those two elements being at odds with each other throughout the entire film and how actually those things are kind of flipped on their head as the film progresses. And uh, Norman is made to be more of a believer mm-hmm. and Tansy, well, she kind of, I don't know that she, she stops being a believer, but she sort of brings a little bit more, um, she becomes a bit more grounded almost as the film goes on. Yeah, there is an element of almost this whole experience in a film serves as a way to further the honesty in their relationship. Like it's a thing that Tansy had been keeping to herself, but that because she knew she predicted that Norman would just not be okay with it and would not understand the beliefs because of his own rigorous kind of academic approach and deep kind of disdain for anything superstitious or illogical. But I feel like you're right at the end of the film, they sort of find this mutual ground where to connect. I wish there would have been a burn witch burn too, so we could see them practicing witchcraft a little (laughs) bit together. But I wanted to dig dig a little bit deeper into this idea of belief and superstition because from the very moment we first see Norman, he is delivering a lecture which will appear several times throughout the rest of the film uh, on kind of all of the supernatural elements just being a way to escape from reality and kind of a, a morbid obsession for people who cannot deal with real life. I do not believe. I do not believe. So, to recap, four words necessary to destroy the forces of the supernatural, witchcraft, superstition, the psychic, etc., etc. And these, quote, are a morbid desire to escape from reality, unquote, and can only exist in an atmosphere of belief. Belief is vital. Deprived of that acceptance, it reveals itself as another futile attempt to control one's environment and the forces of nature. He writes this in chalk on the on the blackboard, kind of, I do not believe. 
what do you make of his of the ideas that are surfaced by him and by the film about the fact that witchcraft is only effective if you believe in it um well i couldn't help but make the connection between witchcraft is equal to the idea of domesticity um so for me the idea of tansy's witchcraft and her belief being very tied into the idea and role of her as a housewife and as someone who makes the home and uh and does all of these things um Whereas he he played in more to, uh, you know, he's the working man. Um, he lives in a societal structure, um, a patriarchal structure that is sort of um, historically uh, led by maybe more rationalist thought, where she exists in a slightly different space. Um, so for me, it was about, I mean, this is, I guess, is a hot take, but um, <laughs> this film almost kind of felt like it was not necessarily stripping away a patriarchal, the patriarchy in general. I feel like it maybe it more just wanted to kind of comment on how you have this idea of the domestic home and society built up around the idea of a husband and a wife and all the things that come with that. Um, and this film felt like if we threw witchcraft into the mix, it was almost like pulling at that thread and pulling at that thread a little bit and a little bit and a little bit until really you could see just how fragile something like a patriarchal structure that bases itself in realist thought and doesn't allow for imagination or witchcraft, um, just how fragile that really was and how it could all just very easily come come, come crumbling down. Um, so for me, that's how I interpreted that. Why does it upset you so much to think that there's such a thing in this world as witchcraft? It's one of the oldest religions in the world. It just depends on what you believe in. There's an explanation for everything that's happened. Oh, really? Such tenacity. Any theory, however improbable, wild and coincidental, so long as it fits into your tidy view of things. What are you doing? What about the accident with the truck, Norman? What truck? Yes, isn't it odd that I should know about it? How does your Aristotelian mind account for that? feel like this is actually a really difficult thing to to talk about. I almost feel like this is worthy of like academic text. I mean, we could write a book. We could mm. write a chapter in a book about really dissecting these ideas. And so I completely understand if it's, I mean, and I realized, like I said, I kind of went big and bold there. And I don't know that these ideas were necessarily right on the tips of everyone's tongues when they were making the film, but I do feel like it probably played into it because of greater things that were going on in society at the time. And like I said, it was right at the burgeoning of this, this feminist movement where mm. um, women were um, wanting to have more autonomy over their bodies. And, um, and that would then affect how family structures were with, you know, the ability to um, choose not to have children and, and just also women and reentering the workforce and how that kind of upended patriarchal society as it had existed for several decades before. So for me, this kind of felt like it was right on the cusp of all of that. And I don't know that it, like I said, I don't know that it necessarily had all of these intentions when they actually made the film, but I, I can't help but, but interpret it that way when I watch it. No, I love it. What I was thinking as you were talking is that I think this fits into not just kind of bubbling ideas at the time. I'm not sure that the filmmakers or the writers necessarily intended it that way, but I'm a big believer in that the meaning and the reading of a film is once it's done and out there, 
is kind of in the hands of the audience and of the people on the receiving end of the film. So I think that's a very, very fair reading. And on the other hand, I'm also thinking it kind of taps into this bubbling malaise that exists in suburban structures and in domestic structures as well. And I'm thinking kind of a bit of kind of the idea of something dark or something outside of what's considered the norm and the acceptable um, pathway for the wives or the, the well, it's not girlfriends, it's only the wives, the wives kind of and the, and the domestic partners of these rational, high-flying, ambitious men. So I love the idea that it there is an inner life that is very complex and also dabbles in knowledge and especially in forbidden knowledge that's practiced by women. And, you know, we can go into all of the ending of the film. I love that there's this notion of witchcraft being a language that is understood by women but ignored by men, but that actually the fates of the men, of the husbands in this case, are kind of being affected and helped or um, hindered by the practices of these women who are playing dual roles in many ways. There's the the facade that they present to society, to their husbands, and then there's the practices that they get onto in the dark and without the knowledge of their husbands, that, that but that affect both their lives. And I love this idea of witchcraft as a language that exists between women only. And, you know, one of the reasons of this series is the idea of women and power and how that's represented. And I've always thought that witchcraft is one of the, the most interesting variations on that. And every film and every story sort of plays on the idea of how do women achieve power in a society that is not designed to provide them with access to it. So I love kind of this, um, the way that they can so happily coexist. And I'd love to rewatch this film again, kind of knowing about um, Tansy's actual schemes, because once you know exactly kind of what's going on, although, you know, it's not very difficult to predict where it's going but there are so many details in the little looks and uh, and the way that certain elements of the house are distributed in the way that she reacts to the other people in their community she makes a quip that you know they're about to play bridge and stuff and there's so much tension in the room when they have that little get together you can tell that they're sort of outsiders already because of how well Norman is doing because they just sort of don't fit in because they're a bit too, I don't know, maybe a bit too liberal, it seems, to a degree. Um, I'm not sure if liberal is the right word, but they definitely don't seem as stuffy as um, the other colleagues of that university where Norman teaches. And it's something that Tansy points out quite a bit. You know, she doesn't necessarily want to fit in with the other academic wives. She wants to go off... Um, on adventures and explore and she wants to travel and she talks kind of fondly about traveling that they've done you know she's an active participant in his life even though she's not uh, an academic herself so 
I kind of really love the idea of their life being complete in and of itself. And I found it especially interesting that they have no children and they're very seem mm. at no point it's mentioned and they seem perfectly content. And the fact that they don't really fit in or want to fit in into the community they inhabit, which seems already like an offense to this idea of kind of a very structured society. Yeah. Oh man, you, you've, I mean, you've really laid it out. I, <laughs> I agree with so much of what you're saying. And I think, I, I think that the suburban uh, setting, this kind of suburban Gothic setting is so ripe for um, telling these kind of stories about how women create power structures for themselves in a, in a society where traditionally they haven't been given the power. Because when I was watching this film at first, I was thinking, oh, you know, they're ultimately using both, both Tansy and Flora, the other academic's wife. They're both using their power ultimately to protect their husbands. Maybe because they love their husbands, maybe because they love the power that their husbands have and the life that that affords them. And it kind of frustrated me because I was thinking, you have all of this power and you're using it to help, you know, to help the men. But but actually, I don't really think that that's exactly what it's about. I think ultimately what what oppressed people always try to do is find ways of utilizing the power they do have and being clever about it. And mm -hmm. so for me, I saw these women utilizing that power in a way where maybe this is more true for Flora's character than it is for Tansy's, but she knows that her husband is always going to be the one that's valued by society. And so she can use that. Um, and so she can use her witchcraft to um, support that. And actually it's, it's like that old saying where, you know, the husband may be the head, but the woman is the neck. It kind of feels a little bit in, in keeping with that ideology mm -hmm. of she she really, she's, she's pulling the strings. Um, even if it may appear that she's actually not the one in the position of power. Mm -hmm. I think Tansy is slightly different, uh, is motivated, motivated slightly differently. And I think that that might be, um, in keeping kind of what you were saying about them as a couple representing something new, they represent this kind of modern, young, a new generation of people. I mean, I, I think it's no accident that they're set in the setting of academia. I mean, he could have been a part of any, um, you know, been a part of any kind of uh, job role, but he's he's an academic. Mm -hmm. And I think academia traditionally is very, you know, they're, they have a reputation for wanting to be uh, always looking back over their shoulders rather than looking forward. And, um, you know, very much upholding power structures that have been in place. Mm -hmm. Whereas Norman, um, for all of his realist ideologies, is actually, um, you know, he represents that modern man. And he and Tansy represent that modern couple, as you say, by um, by having a life outside of the small town, by having this cottage that exists outside of the town. They, they create space for themselves uh, in the wider world. And I can understand why Tansy would want to protect that. Um, I also think that their love for each other, uh, for me, it, it's not a romance film by any means necessarily, but it was interesting because I really felt like normally we portray, especially maybe in older films like this, we portray the woman as being the devoted um, wife, but the man as being sort of the distant husband. And in this film, I felt like they could have played to that stereotype. I think maybe in lesser writers' hands, they would have. 
But what was interesting to me is one line that really struck out to me in the film is when Norman discovers that Tansy is uh, using all these talismans around the house. Mm -hmm. He says, you know, a woman of your intelligence, why are you doing this? And I I realized in that moment that he really respects her Mm -hmm. and he values her intellect and he he sees her as an equal, but he sees her as an equal um, in that she is able to occupy space and do things that he can't do and they complement each other, Mm -hmm. Um, which I just feel like is an important distinction to make from from the way that husbands and wives are typically portrayed Mm -hmm. around this time period. I do feel like they, they sit apart from me um, mm. than that typical that typical structure. Oh, God, yeah, I absolutely agree. I think this is portrayed as such an equal partnership that it almost took me by surprise. Like, it, it seemed like a film that was made um, a little bit further down the line. But I wanted to dig into that scene where Norman discovers what Tamsi's been up to. The truth. I told you, they're souvenirs. The truth. All right. I was trying to use conjure magic, trying to work spells, trying to change the future. That's what you really want to hear, isn't it, Norman? That's exactly what I don't want to hear. Then believe what I told you last night. About one dried-up spider, yes, but not all that rubbish. Graveyard dirt. What do you want to believe? I want some kind of explanation. But isn't it obvious? I'm a witch. I'm not finding this very amusing. Norman, I only have so many answers. Take your choice. What do you mean? Are you trying to tell me that you've been attempting witchcraft? He discovers all of her paraphernalia, her kind of witchy elements that are, you know, distributed amongst the house. There's kind of a lot of tiny bits sort of hidden everywhere in every nook and cranny and in lampshades and behind doors. So... What do, what did you make kind of of that particular confrontation between uh, Norman's rational approach to life and what he believes is superstition, um, but also about what we learn about the type of magic that Tansy is practicing? Yeah, I mean, once again, I can't help but make that connection between um, using witchcraft as a metaphor for uh, like domestic life. And so I did think about all of the things that, all of the extra things that women accumulate um, in the act of performing their femininity uh, compared to their their male counterparts. So for me, it was like he's going through her vanity and he's pulling out all these little things and um, the idea of her having little trinkets around the house. And um, I couldn't help but kind of think about, I don't know, like, uh, you know, like a makeup or or kitchen bric-a-brac or all these things that we associate with with women um in that same kind of vein uh, when when comparing them to like the paraphernalia and then the idea that he was rejecting all of those things um and how upsetting that be to her uh, in terms of the actual magic it, it's to me this is the really interesting thing because i think about how witchcraft is portrayed in films and for me that there's kind of two veins you can go down. Mm-hmm. One of them is the witch as an intrinsically gifted person, um, or the witch as someone who has learned behavior. Mm-hmm. So like Tansy isn't someone who's, she was born a witch. You know, this is a woman who has um, 
chosen to believe in something and practicing it. It's a learned skill. Mm Mm-hmm. So once again, I feel like that kind of ties into the idea of um, becoming a homemaker, learning how to cook, learning how to do all of these domestic things like, oh, just pick up witchcraft on the side Mm -hmm. um, as an extension of that, essentially. It's a side hustle. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, But it's sort of um, this extension of her life as a housewife. It's like, oh, she's picked up witchcraft and witchcraft is um, is an extension of it, it can help express all of these things that um, she otherwise might not be able to um or it helps her uh, navigate society in a way that she might not be able to do otherwise because of um, the power structures in place. So yeah, the witchcraft they're very interesting. I also think it's um, maybe a little bit just on an, as an aside, maybe a little bit uh, interesting to the time because there were a lot of, I, I hadn't seen Burn Witch Burn, but I'd seen a lot of other films around this time that use sort of voodoo magic or or something like that yep. um, as the source of witchcraft in the film. I'd be interested to learn more about why it was that popular in that time frame in cinema. Because it's, I think about like, um, what is it? Uh, I Walked with a Zombie. Mm-hmm. That one felt very similar to me. That, that one's obviously much more involved with voodoo magic. They talked a lot about Jamaica in this, and there was a lot of um, traditional Jamaican talismans around the house as well, mm-hmm. which was interesting that that wasn't considered part of the magic. Um, and and I noticed those those stayed up long after he told her to get rid of everything else. But they talk about Jamaica a lot, and they talk about how um, that's definitely where she picked up uh, the magic that she's learned. And... I, there's there's one well, there's one black character in this film, very small cameo from a black character, but otherwise it's um, really interesting to me that there's these these white women utilizing what I think is considered to be traditionally like West African mysticism. I don't know how problematic that is in a in a 1960s setting. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what what do you think about that? I mean, I'm kind of there with you as I was watching it. And it's interesting that she even refers to magic. She doesn't use the words uh, voodoo or hoodoo. She does refer to it as conjure magic. And there's a really specific distinction between conjure women and witches. Friend, friend of the pod and friend of mine, Kelly Weston, uh, who is a film critic, w- spoke about kind of this distinction on a previous episode about The Skeleton Key, which is also a film that attempts a lot and um, doesn't achieve all of it. But I thought kind of the even the the use of the of the words kind of conjure magic was quite specific. And I'm not I do find it somewhat problematic in the sense that it is these you know white suburban women who are at least in the case of Tansy who very openly kind of acknowledges when she is confronted by Norman that she kind of learned this stuff acquired some of the talismans and the skills from a Jamaican uh, practitioner when they were there and she was very influenced by it now it's I found it interesting now if I find it less problematic the fact that she talks about where she learned that stuff and where she picked it up but obviously it's just a hint at a much bigger conversation about appropriation and whether that kind of particular brand of magic or um, contra magic even can exist in the same way in this very wide suburban setting I 
genuinely just don't have an answer there. And I think it's kind of a question, really, for me. It's kind of how these films and I walked with a zombie which you're right came kind of a lot earlier and then there's also a, a previous um, film called Weird Women which is from the 40s which is actually based on the same novel that this film is based on which is called Conjure Wife and then you know you've got White Zombie and other kind of more, much 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 more problematic films that kind of tap into Caribbean and West African kind of religions and practices and take the bits of them that sound spooky and appealing to a white audience and kind of make them into this brew and mishmash of practices. Now, I don't think that's necessarily kind of what we should expect from a film like Burn Witch Burn. I think this film probably taps into the fact that these academics or kind of these privileged white people who are you know traveling around different countries are taking bits of different cultures that are not theirs and taking them with them and appropriating them I think it probably taps into that a little bit more elegantly than other films do maybe because of the writing talent that is behind the film, which obviously is, you know, Matheson and Beaumont are two of the, if their names are not familiar, they're two of the most influential writers on what we consider kind of (laughs) macabre and fantasy and science fiction and all. So I don't really have a, a necessarily definitive read on it. It did make me wince a bit, but I also think out of the cultural and magic appropriating films that I've seen so far when researching this project it's probably one of the least offensive ones oh no I would agree with you there I would I think as you say it was one of those things that's almost kind of teased a little bit and actually I didn't even think about the point about it uh really blending with the idea of these people being academics who would be exposed to all of these different ideologies um, because they're well-traveled and they're well-read. But as you say, I think, you know, I I don't have a definitive, this is bad, this is good. I think it's a little bit more gray than that. And and ultimately there are much worse offenders in this category. I I think um, it handled it as as delicately as it probably could. given the subject and the time that it was created. Hmm. How do you think it portrays the relationship between the two witches we mean in the film? So, you know, there's obviously Flora and there's Tansy. Um, For the majority of the film, we're led to believe that they don't know that they're witches. But Tansy does seem to be convinced that there's other witches in their community who are trying to um, curse or make bad things happen to Norman, which is why she is utilizing magic and charms to protect him and help him along in his career. Yeah, um, I, I slightly disagree in that I do think that Tansy, as you say, she she does 
she's aware that maybe witches are um, other witches are active in the community, but she might not necessarily know it's Flora. Mm -hmm. I think that bridge scene to me felt pretty definitive. There was, there was, you could cut the tension with a knife. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I, we mentioned that scene before, but I do really love, I love this idea of this kind of language between women that transcends words um, Mm. that the men just weren't aware of in that scene, you know, that uh, Flora's husband says something. She's like, Oh, you there, you said you put your foot in your mouth again. Um, Whereas the women are definitely the ones who are on edge in that scene. I mean, it's shot and, and it's shot with tension, Mm -hmm. but I like to think that the only people who are really feeling the tension in the room are, are the wives. Um, Interesting. And I do think, you know, you could immediately go to the side of, you could immediately go to the side of, well, it's a shame that these two women have to be pivoted against each other because, um, you know, of course we're going to, we're going to put women, you know, hit women against each other in these scenarios over their husbands. But I think it's actually a little bit more complicated than that. And I also think that um, these two female characters are just so different and they have such different motivations and the motivation isn't necessarily, I don't think that Flora likes Tansy, but I think just as equally, she doesn't like Norman and she doesn't like what the two of them represent. She doesn't like what uh, she's frightened by them. Ultimately she's frightened by what this new modern couple can represent and how they're, she's very focused on, um, making sure her husband retains his power and in his profession and stays at the top of his game. And I think she ultimately is just motivated by these, these issues of fear and these issues of power. And Tansy is motivated by issues of love and, um, wanting to maintain the life that she's worked for with her husband. So for me, it wasn't really about these two women hate each other and it's a cat fight and, you know, da, da, da. And I didn't really equally, I didn't want it to be, I didn't feel like it needed to be, uh, you know, yaya sisterhood witchcraft where all the witches gather um, in the schoolyard after midnight. I didn't feel like it need, it definitely didn't need to be that. Um, I just think it was almost like these women existed as individuals and they had autonomy over um, how they wanted to use their witchcraft and what they were motivated, you know, what motivated them to use it. And for me, that was that was great because it just meant that we had really complex characters on screen. What do you make of the scenes where we see Norman being kind of persecuted by these kind of the effects of of the witches' spells? And I thought you mentioned something really interesting a bit early on about kind of the idea that in this film we see the the kind of the male lead being the one who is always in danger and kind of always at risk and being constantly persecuted and, and constantly in fear as well like peter wingard is plays him as a fund like terrified to his core there's a couple of scenes where his performance is just so visceral like he looks like he's about to pass out from fear yeah, definitely. And I think in, in contrast to that, Tansy, even though she's in danger in that second half of the film, she is not afraid. She has walked into, she she knows the decision she's walked into. She knows what she's coming up against and she's prepared for it um, because she was a believer all along. And so she knew um, 
she wasn't so she knew what she was facing and i think in his case um it's almost like this it was such a juxtaposition from mm-hmm. the rational thought that he built his life around and his identity around that the it, it's it's funny actually that in the scene where um after he he rescues Tansy from the from the sea, or mm-hmm. she she comes out of the sea, she's kind of catatonic, and they take her to he takes her to a psychologist or a doctor of some kind. Mm-hmm. And to me, that scene actually had a level of humor to it because they're so concerned over her mental well being, when actually I feel like she was the most sane person in the room. Um, and I think that you feel that way as well, given the way it was filmed and the, the POV shots. You're you're very much in her, literally in her head. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas he's the one that um, he's the one who, if anything, is suffering a mental break because he's being challenged for the first time with the patriarchy hurts men and women, right? It, it expects men to perform in a certain way, um, perform their masculinity in a certain way and in no way embrace anything that might be construed as feminine or quote unquote weak. And so I think for this, it was almost like he was unlearning a lot of things. He was learning ways to be vulnerable. He was learning the importance of being um the importance of thinking outside of rational thinking, the importance of embracing intuition, because there's a couple of moments at the beginning as well, where he jokingly refers to his wife as his good luck charm. Mm -hmm. But of course he's just using it as kind of a throwaway. I think by the end of the film, he wouldn't approach that in the same way. I think he's, he's broadened his mind a little bit and he's been able to, think outside the structures of academia, for example, that he's existed in with within for so long. Let's talk a little bit about his confrontation with Flora and that kind of big reveal when he figures out who's behind the kind of the brief possession of Tansy and a lot of the the bad luck that he is suffering. You know, he almost gets run over or almost gets into a car accident. He gets accused by a female student of assaulting her he almost gets shot by that student's boyfriend so a lot of stuff really happens to him in quick succession when he figures out the floor is behind it they have a really fascinating confrontation at the university what did you make of it well i i think that scene was one of my favorite in the film because i I found Flora so like delicious of a character and I feel like we really didn't get enough of her throughout the film. Mm-hmm. In a way she's both the antagonist and kind of the comic relief because she's just she's quite quippy and sardonic and um I I love a little bit later on when um she's left the loudspeaker PA system on and her husband says, Gina, this is playing everywhere. And she goes, Oh, well, silly me. It's like, of course she knows. Mm -hmm. But once again, as we talked about her a little bit before, she knows how to play the game and she's, um, she knows that even though she might not where she, she knows where she sits in a power structure of society. And so she's going to use that to her benefit. And I think this scene is sort of the crux of that. Um, I loved that she was the way that it's shot, um, you know, out and out is that she's the one sitting in the dean's seat or in the, the the office chair. And it's sort of like this this sort of dean pupil dynamic that's going on mm-hmm. um, where, you know, she's she's become the teacher. She's become the academic almost. And she's giving a lesson in in something that's just absolutely rocking Norman's world and shaking his entire worldview. So for me, it was very much about it was about that 
uh, that's that complete upending of academia versus witchcraft completely coming to a, a total 180 in this scene. And as you say, with with Norman's performance, by this point, he's absolutely petrified. And I think um, it's it's a weird one because he he does believe at this point, but I think he almost wants to hold on to that last grain of uh, what he believes to be rationalism. Uh, but I think you can tell by that point, by the very end, that um, he he's completely transcended into into uh, away from rationalism. And I think when she plays his speech, it's almost the final straw. It's like he's being confronted with his own rationalist thinking, and he's like, "I can't take this anymore." Mm. That's. I just had to add one thing. I did love her little way of torturing her by burning the tarot cards and that scene was extended for so long and when he finally runs out to run to his house we can hear her kind of muttering the what would become the US title of the film you know she's muttering burn witch burn and there's such a kind of sense of competition with Tansy that again uh not necessarily kind of the most uh, progressive of ideas, but I do love it in the sense of competition between powerful witches. I love it as a, as a kind of show of strength as opposed to kind of competition between women for the sake of... You know, I agree. And I also think it kind of goes back to what I was saying before, where ultimately they're both driven by different things. Mm -hmm. Um, and what matters to Flora is she is, she cares about, um, upholding the power that she has. She wants to retain that. And so the idea of, um, any kind of person coming in and competing with that, I think the fact that it's, uh, Tansy's woman is incidental almost because really, uh, both Norman and Tansy, uh, represent, uh, represent the enemy to her. Hmm. And before I kind of start wrapping up, we do just have to talk about the crazy weird credits, both opening and closing credits of this film. Because what did you make of this spell protecting slash spell inducing opening gambit that the Night of the Eagle Burn Witch Burn plays? Yeah, so I think at the very beginning of this discussion, we I kind of touched on how this film, it... it it toyed with the idea of being B-movie schlock, but ultimately I think the script and the the direction elevates it past that. Uh, and it's only kind of these elements in a way that uh, label it as such. And and I was interested after I, I watched it, I uh, went and had a look elsewhere and it looks like in certain territories it actually wasn't, um, it wasn't packaged in quite the same way. Mm-hmm. So I, for me personally, as someone who loves schlock and, uh, who likes, you know, a little bit of camp in their horror films. I thought it was really fun. But I also think it was a little bit at odds with the tone of the film. Because ultimately the film isn't super campy. I think it plays the story fairly Mm -hmm. straight-laced. And it felt a little bit gimmicky. I can imagine that to a modern audience it would have been, you know, would have gotten them all in the mood to watch something spooky. But actually I do think that it almost it doesn't do the film justice on its own. I love it. I have to say, I love the elements individually, but I just feel like uh, I'd be lying if I said, I thought that they perfectly fit in with the, the entire film. 
No, I do think you have a, a a very good point is that it is it is a tacked on thing and it is gimmicky. It's very William Castley. And then it almost takes you back how serious the film is, really. Um, I have to admit it did when I was watching it last night on my TV, I did feel a little bit nostalgic for the idea of a cinema and for watching this in a cinema because we're basically watching a black screen for a few minutes with this voice kind of trying to warn us about how terrified we're going to be and of course at hokey but I have a soft spot for those type of um, exhibition gimmicks that had their heyday in you know in the 1950s and kind of some part of the 60s with William Castle's antics and things like that and it just screamed so much of that that I became it just caught me in a moment I was like oh this would be so cute in a full cinema full of horror fans no absolutely it's sort of I think you're right it reminds me of like the tingler is the one that comes to mind where they they put buzzers on the seats and it it sort of gets you in that headspace and and also I know this is going to sound a little maybe a little pretentious but whenever I, I I love a cinema experience because I'm I'm always remembered of um Louis Bunuel, how he always described the cinema as the space where you're almost going to sleep. Like mm-hmm. you, you sort of enter into this dreamlike space, like the lights go down and sort of anything is possible. Mm-hmm. And the idea that you're sort of met with um, this dark screen and this booming voice, I could see how that could really be incredibly effective, um, especially to a, a 1962 audience. And to start wrapping up, kind of, what do you think the influence of the film has been? Oh, so vast, so vast. And I think that this is one of the reasons I was kicking myself that I hadn't seen it before, because actually I think some of my favorite films Mm -hmm. uh, have taken a lot of reference for this. The one that I thought about the most when watching the film was uh, Stepford Wives, mm-hmm. which yeah. I'm I'm a massive fan of Ira Levin's uh, original novel, but also the, I believe the film came out in maybe like the early 70s. Um, and once again, it kind of is playing with the idea of like the suburban Gothic, the domestic space, the uh, the relationship between husbands and wives and larger, larger societal structures. Um, so for me, it was, you know, Stepford Wives, it was uh, Rosemary's Baby, it was all of these kind of suburban gothic films. But it also made me think of <laughs> uh, something slightly different, which was, it made me think of Bewitched, uh, okay. which I, I realize is tonally completely different. Um, but Bewitched came out um, two years after this film did. Mm-hmm. And Obviously, it's like I said, it's it's a comedy. It's um, it's much more light in tone and playful, but it's it's kind of about the same thing. It's about um, you know a, a young witch, um, a modern day witch, existing in a suburban space and navigating being a wife and um, and how she can use her magic to. Uh, you know, help her husband in his his work and and navigate sort of all of these all the, the wacky shenanigans that she gets up to in suburbia. So for me, it was it was almost like I'm sure that whoever created Bewitched or wrote Bewitched watched this film because I think the uh, 
the resemblance there it's 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 too convenient not to be love it is there anything you wanted to talk about that we haven't mentioned about the film hmm i don't think so i feel like we really we really kind of teased out more than i i was so desperately trying last night to really wrap my head around all these ideas because as I, as we've kind of said as we've talked about this i think some really big ideas at play here hmm. and while maybe the film isn't completely successful at uh at all of them and i think there are reasons why it might have been forgotten somewhat uh in comparison to some of its modern day uh, or it's in comparison to some of the the contemporary horror films of the time like i can understand why the innocence or the haunting but might have a lasting legacy in this film um while impactful on uh films that came after it might not be remembered as well mm -hmm. it's 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 so complex and it it's worth visiting and it's worth really kind of digging into all of the ideologies that it it explores i completely agree thank you so much ali for your time and for your insights where can people find out more about your work online i'm pretty notoriously private in terms of my own individual self online mm -hmm. but um i talk about horror films on kill count a podcast um, which i do with mike munzer of evolution of horror podcast and our friend dan as well um, and we've done about five episodes. Uh, we were lucky enough to have you as a guest <laughs> and uh, one of the ones that probably will be out by the time this episode is out. Um, and you can find us at Kill Count Pod on Twitter and Instagram and wherever streaming services you listen to your pods on, you can find it. Excellent. Thanks so much. Thank you. <clears throat> Burn with. And that's it for another episode of the Finer Girls podcast. Please do rate and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. You can find out more about what we do on thefinalgirls.co.uk and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at thefinalgirlsuk. Let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving us a review. It genuinely really helps. You can also get in touch with us on hello at thefinalgirls.co.uk. You can follow Ali's podcast on Twitter at killcountpod. And I am on Anna B. Demented. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for a bit more witchy goodness next week. <laughs>